Hi, I'm Phoebe Lovett, and this is Deep Read, a podcast where I have conversations with big thinkers about big ideas. Every episode is accompanied by a further reading list, which you can find at phoebe.substack.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. My guest today is the creative director, Juliana Salazar. Juliana and I became internet friends a little while back and have now managed to become IRL friends who sometimes cross paths when she passes through London, as she did earlier this year. While Juliana was in town, I managed to sit down with her to have the following conversation in which we discussed the meaning of personal style, the refinement of taste in a digital era, and the highs and lows of life as a creative multi-hyphenate. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm great. Let's start from <laughs> let's start from the top because we've just been chatting for the last 20 minutes while I've been setting up this audio equipment, but um, our lovely audience aren't aware of that conversation. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you do? <laughs> oh, oh God. God. You're like three um, minutes deep in. I'm Juliana Salazar. I. It's funny, I ran into someone on the train or waiting for a taxi off the train today and he went to introduce me to someone he's like I don't even know how to introduce you and I'm like yep that's that's my life sounds about right (laughs) um I think I say now like creative director mostly Mm. I'm trying to retire the stylist Mm. why is Um, that I'm over it over styling I think fashion also Mm. at large or like the industry Mm. is very frustrating to me why so because you're just like watching a broken system and people talk about how broken it is and no one does anything differently. It's very um, Empress New Clothes kind of vibes. Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like also I see things very clearly and when I'm consulting and stuff like that, I'm like, well, this is a solution, blah, blah, blah. And to me, there is a way to operate within the system and mm. hopefully be an example for how it could be better. Mm. Uh, But people are really afraid to take risks. Do you mean in terms of sustainability? Uh, I think just like business practices. Right. Like fashion weeks, like stuff like that. It's like fashion week is the most stupid waste of money like ever, I feel like. I mean, were you at Paris Fashion Week? Yes. I mean, I was there in Paris during it, but I wasn't like actively going to shows and stuff. Yeah, I watched it from afar this year, yeah, by which I mean, obviously. No, do you know what? Actually, I didn't even watch it from afar because even through Instagram, I found it so... There's something so absurd about it, like you say, at this point that I didn't even want to... Even the energy coming out of the phone was too much. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to say... Listen, I've definitely been to like shows where I'm like, wow, that was like such a great yeah, experience or like, wow, that was such a cool production or like wow, this is like a tiny brand and they made something that was like, so they were so resourceful and creative and like, that's cool. But I think people talk about sustainability. They talk about how hard it is to make money, like all these things that are so expensive, blah, blah, blah. But then you like spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a show that lasts like two seconds. And then most of the time, I feel like there's very little follow-up or, like, mm. return on investment or, like, what is that actually doing beyond saying... I think, historically, 
having a fashion show was like an accomplishment. Mm. And I think it was just a goal. And mm. now, and it served a purpose. Like I started my career in wholesale and in buying. So like I would go to like eight to 10 shows a day, blah, blah. And that made sense to me. I mm. think as soon as it started to become just like very monetized from every angle, influencers, like people that didn't really need to be there, mm. being there. And it just became about the spectacle. Mm. It's, it just started to lose me. Yeah, totally. It's, I mean, obviously, I guess, you know, I have utmost respect for designers mm -hmm. and I'm d certainly not being disparaging of fashion as an industry. I mean, it's a really important industry, right? But there is something, it seems like it's in a state of flux at the moment where it's kind of been usurped by celebrity. The role that social media has played in reshaping the fashion landscape is just so intense and overwhelming and also just seems very predicated on a dynamic of just like spend 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 constantly yeah. have a fresh look every single day like multiple times a day um to me it just feels yeah it feels a bit distasteful and like whatever it was in the beginning has been totally lost and now it's just like one more like clout opportunity yeah i think it's i guess it's lost it's like purpose yeah or and it, authenticity like i think that there's just like it doesn't feel like there's like a lot of integrity behind no. most of these things. I think that there's some shows or things that I've seen like, okay, after once I stopped buying and I was just consulting and whatever, I would still get invited to shows. And I think like the first two seasons I would go to most of them and then slowly and slowly I just went and I would go and ob observe, just be like, yeah. that was a cool production. Like what would I have done differently? Like, mm -hmm. and then slowly I would just like go to ones where I'm like oh I think this person's gonna do something cool and I want to see what that is mm. um and then slowly and slowly I just became more and more I'm like and I don't want to sound like pretentious but I really do feel like the only people that need to be at shows are like journalists buyers and then friends of the designer or I like agree. they're to support no I agree I agree I again I I feel like it's it's just become a bit of a content shit show, quite frankly. Also, you go to the shows and it's like you don't even see the stuff most of the time. You mm. know, it's like I can just look at all this stuff on Vogue.com and <laughs> really like take it in yeah. if what I'm interested in is in the clothes right, right, or, right. you know, following the designer on it, whatever. It's like yeah. that's not it's really become a place to be seen. It has. That's it. it. Totally has. I feel it's, like. it's another um, day on the social, the clout social yeah. calendar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why I didn't go this year. <laughs> but I've been there before. But to work, my whole stance on Fashion Week is if you're, you need, so, like, you should be getting paid to be there yeah. directly or indirectly. Yeah. If you're not, stay away. Yeah. Um, but anyway. by the way, now everyone's getting paid to just, like, be, like, show true. up. True. So it's like true, true, true. Uh, good for those people. Let's see how long that will last. Um, sorry, so we went off on a bit of a segue there. So you did identify a bit more as a creative director now. Um, I think my work is more in that world. Yeah. And I think, but also I do a lot of strategy. Mm -hmm. um, what, does, what, what does that mean? for you like what did what kind of I think for example and I'm kind of learning all these things as I go because mm. I've never really 
found like a mentor or I've never really had anyone that and also this like world is developing and like changing so mm. much that things are just not as linear but mm. um I feel like all like as a creative director you know you have a vision you put together teams mm. you you're building out a world or a product or whatever but I feel like with that in my brain I'm also thinking about like well how are we marketing this the mm. rollout of it mm -hmm. we should do this because then later we can do this like mm. I think I'm I'm not just thinking about what it looks like yeah um so I guess for yeah. me that's I'm more like the whole picture the whole, the whole picture let's rewind a little bit though because we're getting ahead of ourselves you grew up in Miami I grew up in Miami Miami Beach no okay no, no, no. South Miami, like Coconut Grove, Coral Gables area, which yeah. sounds like a fake place. <laughs> not, not to me. Not to me, because you know I'm Miami's yeah, yeah, number yeah. one fan. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time in Miami because my dad used to live there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he used to live there. That's, you know, how I ended up living in the US because my dad um, became a, a, a permanent resident of the US because he went to Miami and was like, this is love. a vibe. <laughs> I'm going to figure this out. He's like, he's like, by hell or high water, I'll yeah. figure out how to live here. And he did, respect to him, props. Um, what was it like growing up in Miami? It was amazing. I, mean, I will say, like, I feel like once I left to college and I would come back, and I guess kind of now I'm like kind of a Miami hater. No. I it's just. It's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. But even before it changed, like for me, Miami just doesn't serve a purpose for me like at this stage in my life like I don't know like to be like in my 20s now yeah. 30 like I'm not working there no I'm not spending more than a week there you know what I mean Fair enough. Um, and you grew up there so you yeah know, you and I grew up there but I will say it was an amazing place to grow up yeah. it was an amazing place to be a kid like where I grew up is more suburby I guess and it's like where all the schools are and it's residential it's beautiful like mm lush Miami's so lush. lush and like I don't know I'd come home from school I'd go bike riding I'd go to my friend's house we'd like jump into our neighbor's pools and like run around like you were like rebellious in a very pure way yeah. you know you'd go like pool hopping or like break into a hotel to like jump in the pool lobby oh or like God. it was very I want to live that life now <laughs> like we had like a bike riding gang you know it was like very pure and we were like outside yeah um and then as I got older, like, there's a very obviously Latin culture, which is very much revolves around, like, drinking and partying and dancing. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, going out very early on. But, like, my parents knew where I was going. Like, my the amount of times my dad picked me up from, like, Louis or, like, Liv is, like, hilarious, you know? Um, yeah, the, but um, that was amazing. The, the, the ID, because I, I, I started going to Miami when I was, like, 17 or 18. and there was, I mean, set Thursdays? Oh, there was no time. There was no... Um, <laughs> There was no such thing as the 21 plus no, drinking no, no. law in Florida at no, that time. Or maybe all. in other parts of Florida, but definitely not that bit. Yeah, and it was amazing to be exposed to like a city in that way, mm. but then also be kind of in a more familiar bubble, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And, you know, different from New York in the sense that like I wasn't going out to dinners with my friends or stuff like that. Like I was like, I was never not eating with my family, but then I would be able to like go to a club or something like that, you know, and Sounds be good to me. very like, it's very international. I mm. don't know. It was amazing to grow up there. It was very fun. And when did you leave? Uh, when I was 18. You were like, get me out of here. I was like, get me out of here. My 
parents, my dad mostly really wanted me to like stay in Florida for college, mostly just because it would have been cheaper. <laughs> um, but I was like so determined to not. Did you go to New York? I went to school in DC. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I went to GW. Study? I studied business administration and French. No. Random. <laughs> not, no good? Um, no, I just, I went to DC because I basically hated Boston. Mm. And I didn't really, like, I applied to a few schools in New York, but I wasn't really, like, gung-ho about going to school in New York. I didn't know what I wanted to study. Yeah. But I knew a bunch of people... I had a bunch of friends that already went to GW where I went. A bunch of my friends were going and I just, I don't know. I was just, I just became obsessed with like going to GW. Mm. And I think it was perfect because it's a small city. So mm. it's very manageable. Like I say now, if I would have gone to school in New York, like I would have never finished. Like mm. there's no way I would have been going to classes <laughs> if they're like, you know, in the middle of Soho or something like yeah, no it's chance. Very distracting environment. Yeah. Um, it was great. I mean, I started started off as pre-law. Yeah. And I had a terrible law teacher who just had it out for me, who was the director. And I was like, I'm not going to get far with right. this woman as a director. Yeah. And I don't know. I was like business supplies to everything. I had already been studying French in high school and I really wanted to become fluent. Um, so I ended up double majoring. Okay. I like... Wrote my thesis in French. Wow. Yeah. So I was so speak, in you it. You can still speak, I assume. Um, yes. It's totally not as strong. But you've got like the muscle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So after college, you then did you go to New York? Then I went to New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, my last semester of college, I actually was only taking one class. Mm. And I wasn't... My friends had already graduated. I did a uh, super senior year. Um, what does that mean? Which is like, I took five years to graduate instead of four. Okay. I was kind of a shit. <laughs> um, and I think the US college system, if you're at a good college though, is actually really quite intense. And like compared to British university experience, like I went to a university in the middle of London called UCL, which is a, it's a very good university. But like when you come, we used to get American students who came from the like quote unquote equivalent schools mm -hmm. in the US you know schools that were ranked as highly and you could tell they were just like this is a joke yeah <laughs> like the amount of work you have to you guys have to do compared to what we have to do is an absolute joke I probably had yeah. like six hours of tuition a week yeah no it was also just like the courses I was taking the timeline like certain courses are only offered certain semesters so basically it just ended up where I had my last semester was just like I only had my thesis course and I could only take it that semester yeah so I was like, okay, I'm not going to like live in DC for one class. I'm going to move back home to Miami and just, this is ridiculous, fly in, <laughs> commute in for my class and fly back home in the same day. Once a week. Yeah. That is quite insane. But it was cheaper than like living there. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. I guess domestic travel in the US used to be really, really cheap. And I had friends there. So like if I wanted to come in, this, my class was on a Monday. So if I wanted to come in Sunday night or something, I could, if I wanted to stay, whatever. But it was just way more practical. I literally lasted maybe two weeks living at home or three weeks. Yeah. And while I was in college, I was working at Intermix, like at the store in Georgetown. And I begged them to like help me get a job at the corporate offices in New York. Okay. And I got a temp job at the offices in New York 
and I convinced them to let me work there just Tuesday to Friday. Right. So I moved to New York. That's good. Would, that was a good bit of like, Yeah. Um, I moved to New York, and I would take the train to D.C., take my class on Monday from like 9 to 11, come back to New York, that and then work more sense Tuesday to Friday. And flying in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, more expensive, but whatever. More I like to get the train. To live, be living in New York, oh, yeah, you know, true. but yes, I like, I was very eager to start like my professional life. Like, yeah. I feel like I, I've worked for a long time. Like when I was younger, I worked in retail. Like I hated, uh, summer camp mm. and I basically like got a job as a way to like get out of going to summer camp mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I think I was just eager to like yeah, get that part that. of my life going. Pop in. Yeah. So you worked at Intermix for a while, and then what happened from there? Um, I actually only ended up working at Intermix for like six months before I got poached by the store called Hirschleifers, mm. who the owners of the store's son was my best friend at college. Like mm -hmm. I just randomly met him at school, and we were just like best buds. And his mom, Lori... Um, really helped me. Like I had no idea. I got into fashion. I always loved fashion as a consumer, I'm realizing. Mm. And I got the job at Intermix because A, I was kind of bored, but like I wanted to buy things and my parents were like, you have a budget, like this is your monthly allowance, do with it whatever you want, but like you're not getting more. And mm -hmm. none of the things I wanted, like <laughs> fit yeah, into yeah, that allowance. Expensive taste from young, basically. So I basically like worked to like be able to like shop and shop with a discount. Okay. Um, and my friend Rob and my boyfriend at the time were like really into clothes. And I just remember one of them had um, this like streetwear book, like coffee table book. And I just started going through it and I started seeing all these like interesting people. And I just started Googling them to be like, who are these people? Like, what do they do? Can like, you remember what the book was? Um, I, it was either like the sartorialist or like a GQ, like men's street style book. Mm. Um, and I just started to discover that fashion was like this huge industry, <laughs> that there was like photographers, Wait that there was <laughs> buyers, that it wasn't just shopping basically, yeah. you know, and, and it wasn't just designers. Yeah. So it was like, this guy's a merchandiser, this guy, I don't know, does a window displays right, right, like right. this guy, you know, I started seeing like all the different pieces of the puzzle yeah i mean why, why would you i mean with all respect to miami it's not an uh, international fashion hub you know oh no <laughs> <laughs> definitely it's, not the style of miami is yeah truly unique yeah um, so yeah it makes sense that you didn't really have like a full picture vision of how fashion worked yeah but it's funny because even now that i'm saying like oh, i'm kind of over the industry, like I do notice, like I still like to like consume things. And I'm like, oh, I just have always been a consumer. Do you mean buy stuff? Like buying things, yeah. yeah. What's like, the last thing you bought? My suitcase. Okay, aside from that, that was, um, a, that was a practical purchase. And that was a practical purchase. Um, the last thing I bought. Um, huh. Actually, okay, well, I, like, I have a package here. I, I was like, what's in that box? <laughs> I bought a Miu Miu skirt. Fab. Fab, because I have a credit with matches. Is it one of those little pleated numbers? Yeah, Cute. but not like the not mini the micro one. one. <laughs> not the micro one, the one that's... Yeah, the one that covers your body. Um, 
Matches only sells like Prada Miu Miu in Europe or in the UK. Oh, really? And I have a credit. So I was like, ooh, let me check Save what's on. <laughs> let me check what's available here. Nice. Um, Are you happy so, with yeah. it? I'm kind of indifferent about it. So oh, I think okay. I'm going to return it. Yeah, you yeah. can't be indifferent yeah, 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 about yeah. Miu Miu. Yeah. It's not, you need to um, at least be in or out. Yeah. I bought a vintage Adidas tea in nice. Paris. Such good vintage Oh, in actually, I went to the Rose Sample Sale in Paris. Oh, did you know? <laughs> I did. I heard that was a shit show. I was surprised. Like, I was like, why am I going here? Like, this is going to be annoying. But the prices were pretty good. The prices were right. I mean, anything could be, anything's got to be better than the retail price. Yeah, no, but this was like, because I feel like the ones in New York are still pretty expensive, but I got like shoes for like 200 200 that, that's euros that's very good because normally yeah. they're like a thousand dollars yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah yeah did you get those little mesh ones i had the mesh ones already oh you already <laughs> bought those did you anyway god this is going to let us become a shopping podcast but it's supposed to be a literary podcast yeah. no, i'm joking i no, i'm always we're multi-dimensional here i think it's totally i'm like when you bought, i'm interested in how people shop because i think you know it's like really tells you a lot about what a person's like and how yeah. they you know look at again taste i've just been listening to a podcast series by someone i interviewed for this podcast before this uh woman called zakia Saul. she presents mm-hmm. the breakfast show on nts mm-hmm. i know you're a big nts fan so but maybe the time zones don't work for you to listen to it it's great shout out zakia. i'm a subscriber support of nts <laughs> me too um but she just did a four-part documentary series on the bbc uh, on sort of taste and i found it really interesting because i think it's something that's been floating around in my head a lot recently especially as i get older and thinking about you know a lot of my friends work in fashion i'm not really a fashion person mm-hmm. but just thinking about what what does that actually mean obviously like everyone i'm trying to make uh better purchases mm-hmm. buy less buy better buy more thoughtfully you know i am ashamed to admit that i have bought quite a lot of fast fashion in my life and wow that was a mistake you know like on so many levels um not with you know little t-shirts here and there but i feel like it's also a time in your life you know what i mean it's like i obviously was like buying zara and stuff when i was you know in my early 20s and had no money and oh yeah of course you know what i mean like Like, it went on a little too long for me yeah and it was driven just by yeah just not like i'm very thoughtful in a lot of areas of my life but i guess clothing was something that came late to me in terms of like being thoughtful about it um and i was do you read um what's her name rachel tashian wise her newsletter opulent tips no you need to get on actually that. isn't that the one where you have to be like invited to the mailing you list you just ask her to be on it and she okay because i think i like tried or asked yeah. or whatever and i was just like i'm clearly not cool enough no. but then i think she started following me so i was like maybe I don't think that's what it is. it's just she probably just didn't see it or yeah. something you just sent i just sent her like a beggy little dm okay um and it's great i mean it's like unhinged it's okay. amazing love um and i think if you do have an appreciation for fashion it's definitely like a must read mm-hmm. her aesthetic is like very alien to me mm-hmm. and just the way that she thinks about buying and the thing you know but she did a newsletter this sunday and i actually like wrote down some of the quotes from it because it's been like percolating in my mind ever since in combination with listening to that taste podcast and she's she wrote um most people don't have personal style and most people never will and i was like accurate wait i just actually also saw a very funny quote about taste where it was like i need to get my phone yeah yeah get it (laughs) 
Um, let's see. I like wrote it down in my notes because I was like, this is an interesting. Taste is a discernment and appreciation for quality. Though taste may appear effortless, you can't have taste by mistake. It requires intention, focus, and care. Taste is a commitment to a state of attention. It's a process of peeling back layer after layer, turning rock after rock. As John Saltivier says in an essay about building a set of stairs, surprising detail is a near-universal property of getting up close and personal with reality. Which I don't know why this, like... Where's that from, that quote? I ne would need to, like, put it into Google because I don't really just remember. I just copied and pasted it. Yeah. But that was so... The whole... Of, thing of like you can't have it by mistake mm. was very interesting to me because I feel like so many people obviously try to nurture it and mm. I think we've reached an age where like people can just buy things mm -hmm. you know and it doesn't really say much about them just the fact that they know that this is like a nice thing or it's very easy to fake taste, I guess. I think now it is because yeah. you literally, you know, it used to be hard work to find mm -hmm. what, you know, if you saw something out in public or, you you know, someone you admired was wearing something nice, you couldn't just immediately, like there's whole Instagram accounts dedicated to tagging what ex celebrity is wearing at any given moment. So you can just replicate like the amount of girls I've seen who just literally look like a verbatim copy of Hayley Bieber, but in like obviously yeah. dupes of whatever she's wearing or whoever it is. Um, I think I, I agree that like taste, I think taste is, it does require refinement and, and like that quote um, suggests like attention and care. Whereas I think what Rachel Tashtian wise, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. I'm not sure, but what she says about personal style, I think is also true in that personal style is really intuitive. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you can't look nice or dress well, but there's something about like the nuances of someone who's got great style that you just can't fake. Yeah. And and if and if someone does try to replicate those nuances in a way that's not authentic, it, you can just tell immediately. It's like plastic surgery. Yeah. Something's off. Yeah. I think, because I, I really think personal style comes from it's not from the clothes you wear no. i think it's like how you carry yourself and how comfortable you are with yourself which yes. like if you're wearing something that you saw someone you just copy and paste in an outfit mm. that outfit owns you mm -hmm. you're not like owning the mm -hmm. outfit you mm -hmm. know what i mean or you're not like i don't know it's mm. and we've all met people who are like insanely stylish and they're literally wearing like a threadbare t-shirt and some jeans but the, the key thing is they're not wearing it in a contrived way like they source that threadbare yeah. t-shirt it's just they don't give a fuck yeah exactly sometimes exactly. they're dressed up sometimes they're dressed down um and it's just it's just it's kind of like cool isn't it it's yeah. like you can you're either cool or you're but it, not that cool <laughs> exactly it's like you the person it's mm -hmm. your attitude it's you know because i think also like the coolest person in the room knows that someone's not talking to them because of what they're wearing right. or they're not like, you know, like they, that's not it, yeah. you know, it's. But I think now we live, and this is kind of comes back to what my kind of feelings and thoughts on Paris fashion week. Now it's like, because of Instagram and, you know, this like constant imperative to serve a look on Instagram for likes, you know, that's one symptom of it that obviously it's part of a bigger ecosystem with the way that our culture is and but it it just 
it's like so many more people are partaking in fashion, but in a very, it's just in a very like tick box kind of way. Yeah. Like head to toe, just wearing the brand. Well, even. But I think, um, and this is what Rachel Wise writes in her newsletter. I don't, I didn't, I don't think I wrote this bit down, but she's like, first for people she's like i'm a snob so she owns mm-hmm. it you know obviously what she's writing is a little bit controversial she goes on to write something about how people who don't have personal style should just wear like a like a factory produced brand that like <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like uniqlo and they should yeah. all just wear the same clothes instead of trying which is a controversial take but whatever we'll allow her it but she says you know like and i think this rings so true and i say this as someone who i don't have this feeling that like when style is really important to you um it's it really is like an intuitive part of how you express yourself in a way that it is like to me that's not how I think about clothes I've never been someone who spends ages like putting together a look or thinking about that or there's a real finite limit to the amount of time I'll spend looking for something yeah whereas I've got friends who like there is literally nothing they'd rather do and I don't think that's because they're like shallow materialistic people it's because style and fashion is a huge part of their self-expression and i think especially for people like that like i don't think i'm like i mean i'm extreme with certain things like if there's something i really want i have ebay alerts like whatever but i think it's a level also of your yourself so yeah. i feel like when people just co-opt it you kind of feel like violate mm. violated is like a strong word but i don't know it's like it's currency for people it's also like i don't know when i used to do like all those like Instagram story jumps. And then I would just see people would send me other people's accounts that like followed me, but I didn't follow them. And they would like post like 10 of the photos I posted instead of like the 50. And I'd be like, lol, like you're just taking what I did and then filtering it through to an audience who like is disconnected from me. So they think that's you. You mean when you used to share all those? Yeah. I don't know if you still do that. You shared loads of images. Yeah. You used to share like, but they're like your research files. Yeah. And and then you have a substack for that now no yeah which i've been like not that great about like maintaining and i think i'm like i'm like i feel like i'm in a limbo because i think i enjoy sharing those things i enjoy like researching stuff Mm. but then i think i mean i think i was just putting out too much information for Mm. free well i guess you're I mean, you know, you correct me if you feel that this is an inaccurate way of describing, but I guess to a large extent you are selling your taste with, with through yeah. your work. Yeah. You know, when you're creative directing something, I saw you did that amazing Nike women's, yeah. that space looks incredible. Thank you so much. And that is obviously, I mean, to my understanding, the way things like that work is like someone's been following your work. Maybe they've been watching your Instagram, whatever it is. And they've gone, we like the way this woman, like ex- her aesthetic we want to apply that to our space in that sense your taste becomes this like directly monetizable thing right so if you're just constantly sharing your taste in this way that it's very easy for other people to replicate then i'm out of a job (laughs) right i mean you again i always think you can detect the fakes yeah some people are very good at taking it to the next level one thousand i mean there's totally levels to it but I've walked into rooms like offices where all of my stuff is posted on a board yeah. as inspo, but they're not hiring me. Oh, I, I once got sent a deck with my imagery and work in it and they weren't even trying to hire me. They were just sent, they, and I was like, you know, this is my work. And they were like, oh, sorry. 
Yeah. I'm like, this is fucking insane. Or like, I've had directors of like companies being like, you're putting way too much out there for free. Like you just gave me my whole calendar for the next like three quarters. And I was like- By sharing your images, Lol. your image references. Yeah. That's why you put them on Substack. Yeah. And how do you, how do you think that you've like gone about refining your taste? Like, was that something that you, you know, what like were your parents- are they stylish people? Mm. You could say no, no offense. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> or like, is that my dad that is from? my dad? No, my dad is not stylish at all. Um, he's very practical, but definitely not stylish. Um, my mom is. Yeah. Um, my mom, I think, just has like a, you know, a distinct point of view. Yeah. Um, she's an architect and interior designer so like she's oh, wow. in a different world but she obviously has her mm. point of view within that which mm -hmm. i think kind of translates to other areas in your life mm. um i think i've always just like known what i liked and i really liked what i liked yeah and i think i just went deeper into that or i don't know i and I think that is the absolute crux of it. You know what you like. And I think that is what differentiates people with true style from people who don't, because not to keep quoting Rachel. <laughs> Shout out Rachel. This is a podcast with she her. Should be getting a cup of, no, but it just really landed at a time when these things, you know, like talking about how much, I think for a lot of people, what they think is their style is really something that's just been sort of mod shaped by the algorithm, yeah. by what they see online. Whereas when you speak to people who've, got like amazing personal style they're not pulling the references from instagram yeah and even it's i actually was having this thought earlier and it's not very developed because i don't know sometimes how to verbalize things but it's like i feel like i just have like an inner knowing for myself mm. that doesn't even make sense but like i'm not on instagram i'm not researching outfits or style or taste mm. you know what i mean i'm just like I like this, this makes me feel good. I feel confident in this, or I think I look good in this, but it's not necessarily because I've seen it somewhere else, which is not to say it's new and it's never been done before, but I'm, I really like to tunnel vision. Like, mm. because I also, also when I was like, sometimes, you know, I've done stuff where I'm like doing product development for brands and, you know, creating the direction and the, the brand for a brand. And I don't, when I'm doing that sort of stuff, I don't like to look at other brands because yeah, no, I don't, sure, because things you just like end up in your brain. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I actually just want to focus on whatever's coming to me mm -hmm. and my own ideas versus being, um, you know, influenced subconsciously or not by whatever I'm seeing. So if you're not looking at Instagram and you're not looking at other brands, like how are you drawing inspiration for crafting the aesthetic that you've built? I think it's like based off of like dreams, like dream scenarios, dream worlds, dream wardrobes, or like how I think something should be. Mm -hmm. Like it's like idyllic, mm. I guess. In your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, I sound crazy. No, you don't. It's interesting. <laughs> I think it's really interesting the way that people's minds work. So like, can you like describe what's like a dream, a dream world or aesthetic or setup or scenario that like you might envision or what what are like recurrent ideas of now in that sense that come well back? i think i think maybe i like romanticize things mm -hmm. and so i'm like okay for this scenario 
this would be like what I would want. Mm. And then like, what does that look like? And I think I'm also very uh, like practical. Like I'm not like, like for example, as like a stylist, I'm not someone who's doing something like super conceptual and like, like I like want things to be wearable and functional. Mm -hmm. So I think, but it's always like the most... I don't know, ideal, romantic, like if you have no parameters, if money wasn't enough, like a mm -hmm. limitation, mm -hmm. what would I be wearing or doing or what would this look like? Which I think, I honestly like don't really know where it comes from. I think it's just like really like pure. Like I don't, I really don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's just images. It's just Yeah, floating. and I think, but there's also like, I don't know, you know, when you're like thinking about something like maybe, you know, that newsletter you, you keep on referencing and then you start to like pattern recognition yeah. and you start to see other things like, oh, this song talks about that. Oh, this poem, oh, this movie I happened to watch, like everything kind of starts speaking mm. to whatever you're thinking about. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like an energy thing. Mm. Um, you know, you attract the things that you're thinking about. Yeah. Um, and also, I, just, I guess, you know, visual people can build visual wor worlds. Like, I'm a words person, so yeah. that's not really how my mind works. Yeah. Um, what Do you have a project that you've done either recently or further, like, longer ago, that you really feel encapsulates or, like, that you're super proud of and you feel like is really embodies what you're trying to do in your work? Hmm. <laughs> I feel like I... Lately, all my projects have been, like, so different. Like, mm. I did the Nike thing, which mm. was... I'm super proud of that. Mm. And I think I'm just proud of also... I've obviously done good work before that, but I've never acknowledged it, for, I think, for myself. I mm. think I was always, like, on to the next thing or whatever. And I think it's, like, the first time that I, like, did something that, like, people really complimented me on instead of being like, oh, it was nothing or, like, dismiss it. I'm like... So I'm like, like thank anyone you. Anyone who's listening who's not obviously like <laughs> maybe not seen that on your Instagram or whatever, can you just describe what project you're talking about? Um, yeah, so I was hired to be the creative director for a Nike style lounge in okay. New York, which was um, an event for like media and friends of the brand to discover the Women's World Cup uh, polo. Okay. And basically they wanted to introduce it in a way I don't know that was different than things that they've done before I think yeah. Nike's also really trying to usher in this like new era for women for and sure. they're like how do we make this just like more real and every day yeah and you know it's not just like more a soccer polo yeah yeah it's so because like, they've always been so like I mean obviously I've worked with Nike a lot as yeah. well and I mean, great, a great brand to work with when, when they're backing you, they'll yeah. really back you. Yeah. Like it's yeah. awesome, but traditionally quite sports performance focused. So obviously yeah. now bringing in more of the lifestyle. Yeah. And, um, we created, so I, the idea was like, okay, how can we make this? Yeah. More everyday, not just sport. Mm. And there was a brief concept to like create this, like, uh, closet. They didn't really know how, whatever. So I kind of just like helped expand on that idea where I was like okay well let's bring in other vintage and curate like a dream wardrobe dream closet that you would style back the jerseys too mm. and but then that was just one aspect of it but it's like okay well what does the whole space look like mm -hmm. so it was really more of like a interior design project I mm. feel like and 
programming and just like the overall experience, like from beginning to end. Um, and that was, I had full creative control. That sounds like a dream project. Which was amazing. No, it was a dream project. Yeah. And it was so funny because I didn't even know it until like it was happening. Because I think I'm just used to coming in and like, I'm working for other people. So like, I don't know, I really didn't have to compromise at all. Mm. And what we started talking about from the beginning ended up happening. Love that. Um, and I think at certain points I was like, oh my God, I'm way in over my head. <laughs> but it ended up coming out amazing, you it's know? Fine. You got it. And it ended up coming out amazing. And I, I don't know, it was like a very like good moment for me to just even like appreciate my own yeah. work. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, I did that and it was amazing. And I don't feel like a narcissist trap. for saying that. I'm just like, no, that was cool and I, I did it, yeah, you know? for sure. Um, but then, like, before that, I don't know, like, styling and stuff is always fun. I feel like I, I'm lucky I get to work with good people. Yeah. So it's always fun. Um, and it's cool when you see other brands copying you. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna ask you to name names, but I feel like you're not going to. Um, no, what I'm would you say was to. an influential sh uh, shoot that you're like editorial fashion that you did that you feel like maybe? Um, Amelie Andor. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I wasn't gonna say, it, but <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Yeah, um, I mean that. So you did you start you styled or, or have you? So I what came on very early on. It was like I mean, it was before ALD was like what you know of it now. Yeah. Um, and I did the first few lookbooks that featured women, like the clothes styled on women. Mm. Um, and again, like I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but Teddy just hit me up and I was like, sure, like I'll figure this out. Um, and I don't know, Teddy and I also just like got, got along really well. Like we were He's like- the founder of the brand. Yeah, we were just speaking the same language. So mm -hmm. I feel like it was like a very easy- collaboration and I and then there was a women's small capsule that we did that I also um I didn't help on the product development there I did more of like the building of the women's community yeah. um and just exposing the brand yeah to people yeah um I think because I had known of it for so long I felt really I didn't realize like a lot of people especially women will be like, I had no idea what this brand was if it wasn't for you. Yeah. Um, which was funny to me because since I was so in it, I was like, oh, everyone knows about this yeah. brand. Well, they, um, kind of, they do now. Maybe. They, do, they yeah. do now, but they did not in like 2015 or whatever yeah. that was. Um, I haven't worked with them in so long. Like they're all, I love them all so much. They're my friends. Um, but it's still like, that's what people. Do you feel like that was like a turning point for you in your career? Um, no. What do you think was? <laughs> Not the Maybe there wasn't yeah. one, but I feel like for I, a lot of people, there's a thing that they do, especially if you're a creative freelancer and so I, much of your success hinges on having one project that sort of just like flips yeah. things. I think it would have been a turning point in my career if that's like what I decided to like double down on. But right. I think like the next big project I did after that was, or no, because then I, then I feel like I fell into this like niche of like small brands mm. and like putting small brands on and like helping small brands mm. define their 
aesthetic. Mm. Um, and I worked with like Crown Affair. Mm. I worked with Jamalguas. I worked with Comsi has mm. been like a really big consistent one also. Um, but then I did Gia, which is a beverage brand. Mm. And that, so that, so like, I feel like as soon as I like probably hit a stride with like art direction and styling, I like totally went off to a different lane and like worked for a beverage brand. I mean, I feel like in this economy, <laughs> it's slightly different <laughs> in the US, but you've got to really, you can't really, it's quite hard to really be super stringent about what kind of work you'll do. You know what's so funny is that right before the pandemic, I, I was having a conversation with someone who has a brand and they were, and I was so frustrated with my career because I was like, I keep on doing all this great shit. I obviously have an eye for like, potential and talent and I help brands get to this other level but like they're not my brands I'm not making the money that I should be making but I'm like stuck and mm. they were like well you should be you should have your own brand obviously and like mm. but, and I was like I don't want to like that's just like not what I want to be doing and then they were also like I think you need to like hone in on like two things that you do like I know mm. what you do I know what you can offer me but if people ask me about you I don't even know how right to explain you which yeah. circles back to the beginning of this conversation and it like i was like fuck like what are the two things blah blah like i really tried to like get specific and then COVID happened mm. and i was like thank god i can do all these things yeah. because i was able to really just have a diversity of like revenue streams and i wasn't like like if I was just a stylist and then I wasn't on set and I wasn't like, I would have been screwed, you know? And I yeah. also think like, it's just not my personality. Like if I'm doing anything for too long, I'm just not inspired by it anymore. I'm not stimulated by it. Mm -hmm. Like it's just not, I don't know. It's just not. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely know that and respect the school of thought that is like, you know, hone a craft, you know, in such a noisy landscape, it's beneficial to really be known for one thing. But like, I personally it just hasn't been my reality for that to be possible. Yeah. I just have never, it's never got to a point with anything where I'm like, okay, I can just like zone out everything else and focus on this one thing. It does sometimes sound like the most, like the, yesterday I was saying to my boyfriend, I was like, imagine if I just did the podcast. Yeah. Be, I could make it incredible. Yeah. But I can't afford to just do the fucking yeah. podcast. The podcast yeah. doesn't make any money. Sponsors, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad I but do you know what I mean? Like for me, it's, it's, it, I've never had the luxury. It's not realistic. It's yeah. not realistic. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I'm probably similar to you in the sense that my brain's a little bit like drawn to new things and new ways of working and new people also. So maybe it wouldn't suit me so well to just sit in a room doing one mm -hmm. thing. But I don't know. I, if, I I think it's very difficult, like with the way the world is, with what we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, things just feel so unstable and unpredictable that putting all your eggs in one basket as a yeah. creative freelancer just feels dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, Gia was like a whole new challenge. It was like all the things that I already did, but on a, in a different industry, in a different medium that mm. was really cool and refreshing and I guess to see how it translates and I really you know I came on like three months before it was a, a product in the like I came on before pre before launch mm. and uh you know I helped define everything the colors with the packaging look like like I just got to do everything from the beginning which was also very cool for me because I feel like normally I'm called in like 
way later into a project mm-hmm. than I would like to be. Mm. Um, so then you're already working within like certain parameters. Mm. Um, I feel like that was amazing also. Yes, um, I mean the branding of that yeah. product is phenomenal. And then the Nike thing obviously was like huge. Um, I think just because obviously Nike's just such a big company. Mm-hmm. But I think, I don't know, like as a creative independent person, you really are like, you know that like uh, cartoon or meme of like the award-winning design studio and it's just like one guy and like five laptops. Oh my like, God, literally. That's me. My um, 10 email addresses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's me. And I think it was you cool to do. You don't even have do... an agent? No, I well. don't. Yeah. Um, no, agents I mean, are hard. <laughs> agents, I've, I mean, I've just, I would like to have one, but I think that to find one that really understands you and is aligned with what you want to do and can actually help you more it's than hard. You, yeah you can help yourself like, yeah are you gonna earn yeah that i've tried i've tr- i've tried a few but i'm i always end up just bringing them the jobs and what's the point yeah yeah um yeah i don't know i feel i feel like i'm in the midst of my turning point if that makes sense like yeah. i feel like i'm definitely in like a transitional transformative mm. <laughs> phase um yeah i think everyone i think it's a quite uh the state of the world right now is quite i mean maybe i don't know maybe it's just you and me like feeling indecisive and confused but i think the more people i speak to at the moment it's just again it's very difficult to feel sure of anything right now and i think that feeling is very um heightened when you work for yourself and when your work is you know shaped by like the way that culture evolves, the way that technology changes, the way the economy is, you know, like we're quite, we kind of get thrashed around in the storm a lot. And it can be really difficult to be like, oh, where's the best place for me to be? Like what's, you know, sometimes I'm like, what the fuck? I should just try and work in a different industry entirely. And it's hard to know. And constantly like the streams of where people are making money within creative industries are changing all the time. Like where that, like, you know, for the last couple of years, years podcasters have made huge money and Mm. then it might you know i'm sure it's going to shift somewhere else very soon like industries that used to be lucrative aren't anymore so i don't know i know that it's probably not it's probably controversial but i think keeping the options open is yeah i mean i think also something that i've become more conscious about is and i think why i say i'm like in a transitional stage is because i think for so long like when you're living in New York, you're literally living paycheck to paycheck. Especially when you first moved there, and you're, even when you're making twenties, your money, you're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, you're just like you're constantly going. And yeah. I feel like I was never intentional about what I was doing. Like I was just like I'd get an opportunity. I'm like that sounds cool. I want to do that. Yeah. Then I'd go to the next thing. And I'm like I've never done that before. Like let me try that. Yeah. Then I'd get another job. And I'm like okay, I'm gonna do that. Yeah. And like. I was never like, this is my five-year plan. Like, I want to work for these people. I want to, like, I've been lucky that I get so much inbound and I have opportunities come to me. But I think the downside of that is that you're not, unless you have this, like, blueprint of a plan, I wasn't really that selective, I guess, Mm. of, like, well, I'm only doing the things that are going to get me closer to this goal mm. because I guess I didn't really have a clearly defined goal. So I feel like I'm trying to be more intentional now with where I want to be. I'm sure you saw there was a few articles quite recently about world building and kind of, mm-hmm. 
I think that's increasingly where like culture's going. People want to step into like these yeah. immersive environments and uh, and like in, and live in the vision of someone like you whose taste that they enjoy and just want to like have a that experience like that hotel in the Caymans that everyone goes mm-hmm. to is clearly like that looks I haven't been to it yet hopefully soon <laughs> <laughs> but um that to me seems like very much a world that's what that yeah. looks like to me like the whole thing is yeah quite contained in a, yeah. in a singular vision it's funny like it's a further it's a it's a peeling back the layer of of reality like going back to that quote in the sense of I feel like people cared about clothes because of what it said about them or as a status symbol or whatever. And then it's like, well, what does your home look like? Mm. And I feel like seeing home grow as an industry Mm. also, you know, it's like people I think are caring more about their whole life instead of just like, yeah, what's outward, what's outward. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's also like a form of like escapism, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I think our world is like can be pretty terrifying, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're on something with that. I've just realized we've been talking for ages. I, kind of, <laughs> I just got lost in the I just got lost in the flow. You're like, when is she going to shut up? Um, no, I love this. We didn't talk as much about books as I would have liked to, but that's fine because this isn't a, a solely a book podcast. But I would love to ask if you. Yeah, we can. I'm. We have time. I well, have time. could you share? Could you at least share? Could you at least share? <laughs> um, can you share a book that recently made an impact on you and a book that you'd recommend to everyone? Yes. Um, okay, I thought about this earlier because I was like, "What am I going to say?" Um, I ended up reading these books kind of simultaneously at the same time. And I feel like they randomly made a lot of sense together. And it was Status Anxiety Mm. um, from Alan. De Botton. Yeah, Yeah. De Botton. And Bell Hooks' All About Love. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the Status Anxiety book was recommended to me by a friend. And the Bell Hooks book, like, she had just passed. Mm. And it was everywhere and I had never read it. And I'm like, let me read this. And I'm such a person of like, why are things the way they are? And I feel like status anxiety, especially the beginning, really contextualizes like how we've gone, how the US especially has gotten to where they are as like this highly individualistic, like consumer culture. Mm. And it's kind of crazy that he wrote that book, I think pre Instagram and everything as well, but it's still really... But I think what hit for for me was like when he's talking about like the nuclear family and why people would get married and all these things. Mm -hmm. And then then I started reading Bell Hooks All About Love and it's talking about love and like all not only romantic love, like family and self-love and all these things. And I think A for a very long time, I only read like books like the Alan Dipoton one. Like I feel like Ray Dalio's principles, like very like heady like why I don't know kind of also philosophical Mm -hmm. and then the all about love one I feel like it's very grounding and it you read it and you're like well duh but it's not like for me at least I'm a person who's like I'm actively trying to be more balanced but I feel like I'm a person who's way more in her masculine energy than feminine and why'd you say that um because I intellectualize things more than I feel them right 
Yeah, but like. Yeah. So, and it's so funny because I didn't, like going back to what you were saying, I didn't have the words for that. And then like yeah. recently I've like discovered them and I'll like tell friends like my new development and they're like, yeah. well, duh. Well, and duh. I was like, oh. Oh shit, you know all along. Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, but I don't know. I think I like really loved that book. Mm. I don't know why. Yeah, it's, game, it's a life changing yeah. book. Yeah. It was just like, it feels like, I don't know, it's like soothing. Yeah. It's like a hug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it just provides a new way of looking at the world that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. And you're like, oh. Like yeah, and even like going versus like our individualistic culture versus like how we actually developed as a civilization and tribes and the need for community mm, and all these things. Mm. It's like a reminder also of like the basics, mm-hmm. um, and, which I feel like has gone really lost mm. recently. Yeah, I mean- too many people looking at what other people are doing all day long it's obviously like guaranteed to result in some very weird we're not meant to know this much about other people's lives and I think it's very uh, yeah I also yeah we're we're not I don't even know if we're like meant to like think so much about our own things of like why aren't we here yet and why are you know I feel like we it's very hard to just be Mm mm-hmm and I think maybe that's also why Bell Hooks' book like resonated with me also because I think it's very much of just like you're human and that's that can be it, that's you know, enough. like that can be enough. Yeah. Like you don't have to have like this amazing career. You don't have to have a family. You don't have to like, I don't know, like it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Living in America will yeah. quickly make you well, feel and I think I think that's also the, the masculine is like doing yeah. constantly yeah. and yeah. the femininity is just being, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's hard to get out of masculine energy in New York. Also as a woman. Yeah, because I feel like when I lived in New York, I was just like, I mean, in a way I look back and I'm like, that was awesome because I, what you were saying about having a lot of inbound and just not really necessarily being super intentional but just sort of going with what feels good in a way I feel like that was a good it's a good thing to do Mm -hmm. for a period of your life because you can lose too much time being like oh should I like the reality is it's all experience it's all new connections it's all learning and like I think it's New York is good because you literally don't have any choice you're like basically just saying yes to everything that's like decently paid um but it it, it can be hard I, I definitely felt that that like I couldn't get out of this very like overly self-sufficient very driven way of being and it probably took me leaving yeah to to disconnect from that I think also like you're totally on a hamster wheel once you're there but I think also being a woman and and wanting to be like independent and ambitious and and figuring things out for yourself like you have to be in your masculine energy. Like you have to be like owning the room. You have to be like, Mm -hmm. it's like sad, but it's just like, you can't just be, I don't know. It's like a whole nother conversation. It's not a place to be passive. Esther Perel wrote this article for like, I think it was like a men's health magazine and it was about like something else, but she made a comment about how, the last century was all about like women's advancement Mm. and all these things happened. And okay, we've accepted this concept in society that we can be equal, but it hasn't actually been embodied or applied. So like Mm. the next century really needs to be about how can we actually coexist as equals? Yeah. And I think we're at a very like tricky inflection point right now. And yeah, it's, that's why I think a lot of women are struggling to find partners Mm -hmm. 
um, not that finding a partner is the be all and end all, but like a lot of women I know who want to be in partner, you know, partnerships, just, you know, you can't unknow what you know. And when you know it, most, a lot of men just seem very unappealing. Yeah. And they equally don't know how to deal with like women who've genuinely become empowered. Yeah. Not just as like a kind of meme, but like in a real way through knowledge, through self-confidence and like not not accepting being like oppressed and repressed by yeah. a weak egoed man. Well, I think it's just like men have the luxury of being comfortable, you know? And like, I feel like it's very easy for men to be complacent because it's not that bad for them. No. But like for women, I mean, also depending on what you want out of life, it's not as easy. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, women are just more ahead, I feel like in that sort of personal development because mm-hmm. there's like an angst there and you're like, mm-hmm. well, why do I feel this way? And you just like do end up doing all this work, which makes you understand gender dynamics more and all these things. But like, if you're the only person doing the work, you know, yeah, the other exactly. side, it like, it's just not, I feel like, sometimes different stages of evolution yeah you're like we're just not even speaking the same language no. you know no yeah it's, a, it's which a, i don't know what the fix is for that because i don't think there's a quick <laughs> one i don't think there's a quick fix i mean yeah i don't know if we knew the answer to that it's it's definitely a, it's there's a there's a clash happening right now but yeah. i think there's clashes happening across every aspect of our society and culture mm-hmm. old systems versus new systems yeah you know, the tension between them. And that's why it feels like such a like chaotic, tumultuous time. Yeah, I actually saw this whole thread about our generation of like millennials being like the bridge because we are old enough to have experienced life before the internet. Yeah. yeah. And then we're new. I mean, we're new. (laughs) We're also young enough, but we're also part of the time where we, I feel like we were very resourceful for the internet. Like, like, MySpace or Live Journal, like we would like fully code and like figure things out, and it was just like a different level of like we're very adaptable. Mm-hmm. I'm tired now though. I can't. I can't do another one. I can't. Yeah, I'm we've like, just we've I just be gone. On TikTok, but I'm just like <laughs> we've just gone and seen a lot, and oh God, so it's hard to be in the limbo of like old and new yeah. because I feel like I grew up with my mom was always very like it's so important for you to be independent, like of course you're like you should be treated like a princess and someone should take care of you and blah blah blah, all these things but you need to be independent and I feel like that was driven so hard for me to me that I've also sometimes gotten to a point where I'm like fuck well if I was less that way maybe it would be easier for me to like meet someone I wouldn't think 90% of people were like Mm. and or settling or i don't know it's mm-hmm. like you're almost too i feel like sometimes i'm too aware <laughs> i know ignorance can be bliss yeah <laughs> it's yeah well, we'll continue this conversation yeah. <laughs> Mike, I think. um thank you so much for making the time to do of this course. especially thank on your you. first afternoon in london yeah. after thanks for coming to weeks me. of travel yeah um and i'm excited to follow your next steps especially this hotel <laughs> mm, that sounds good thank you of course thank you